the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, the situation appears to be a perfect opportunity for David to get rid of Saul. And David must choose obedience or murder. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 24 verse 1. The title of the message is Spiritual Hearts and Sorry Hearts. You know, one of the cool things about the Bible, at least I, I know for me, without it, I, I am going to constantly mess up. <laughs> and so what this provides for me is good, solid truth that I, I can know, I can say, well, this is, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to trust. This is how I'm going to make decisions. The word of God is profitable. It's meaningful to us. And so, you know, as we go through this, it doesn't matter whether we're in 1 Samuel or Revelation or somewhere else. It's all breathed by God and it's beneficial for us. And as we've been going through the book of 1 Samuel, we've been learning lessons from the heart. Various different lessons as God has given us a glimpse into individuals' hearts and thereby teaching us about our own hearts, the areas that our hearts need to be changed, yielded to the Lord, And then, of course, you know, areas where our hearts are right where they need to be. Well, David, his heart is trusting in the Lord right now. And it's interesting because we've been watching over the last two chapters that as David has trusted the Lord, he's doing so even when the Lord directs him to go toward danger. And so the last we saw him, he was narrowly escaping being surrounded by King Saul. And the reason was, is because right as the time Saul's about to close the net, the Philistines invade Israel. And yet, even though this provides some respite for David, it is only a respite because Saul will return to hunt him. And what we're going to see is in chapter 24, when David gets a chance to end this threat to his life by killing Saul, we will learn that it's better to have a spiritual heart than a sorry heart. So chapter 24, verse 1. It says, And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. And then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheepcoats by the way, where was a cave, and Saul went in to cover his feet. And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it shall seem good unto you. So then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately. 
But it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. Here we see this interesting opportunity that presents itself to David to kill Saul. It mentions that the reason Saul's in this position is that when he had returned from going after, chasing after the Philistines, it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. And we knew that that's where David was at. But we have no details of this campaign that Saul is on, so we don't know how much time has gone by between chapter 23 and chapter 24. Saul returns home, though, at some point and gets intel on David's whereabouts. And so what we do learn is that Saul is still very determined to find and kill David. Because in verse 2 it says, Then, upon getting this intel, then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel, and he went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And Gedi is a steep, mountainous region just west of the Dead Sea. I have to confess that it is probably one of my favorite spots in all of Israel. It's just absolutely, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of desert oasis beautiful. So if you're not big into like desert oasis beautiful, then you might not like it. But it, it is just very peaceful. It's just in the middle of nowhere. There's just miles and miles of oasis. It's gorgeous to me. But it's very, it's a steep mountainous region. It's got, it's full of caverns where David and his men could hide. Um, it's limestone hills and deep gorges make for precipitous climbing though. It's not safe. And so Saul brings a smaller strike force rather than the whole army this time. And it mentions that these 3,000 chosen men, obviously they're men who are fit to get up there. And it says that he went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. The wild goat here is a wild mountain goat. If you ever you want to look at something trippy, Google goat walking on the side of a dam, and you'll be blown away. These ibex, these mountain goats, they can literally walk on surfaces that are are, are like this. They're, they're flat. As long as it's, I mean, as long as it's got a couple, you know, some little bit of rock outcroppings here and there, they just, they have, they're such fleet footed in how they, they handle things. They can walk on these surfaces. So this place was, it actually today it's called the goat oasis because of its many springs and date palm trees. And the fact that the goats are the ones that have the easiest time walking around there. It's not an easy climb, but it's beautiful. And it was the perfect place for David to hide out and have a fresh water source. However, it would also be the perfect place for David to lay an ambush for Saul. And so verse 3 tells us that Saul came to the sheepcoats by the way. I can guarantee you David's not normally hanging out right by the roadside. But there's this sheepcoat. A sheepcoat is a wall or a fence that's used to contain sheep. Go figure. Why would they build a, a wall or a fence for sheep up in the mountains, though? Well, shepherds frequently took their sheep on long treks into the wild, and These small stone walls or wooden fences were often constructed around the entrance to caves for the purpose of keeping the sheep safe if they had to stay out overnight or if they had to seek shelter during storms. And so this made for an ideal camping spot for Saul and his men. However, David is in this cave. It says, and Saul went in to cover his feet, and and then it lets us know David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. Now, to cover your feet is a very polite way back then of saying that you were having a bowel movement. Um, you take your clothes off and they cover your feet. And so that's why where this phrase comes from. And somehow, again, without realizing it, Saul and his men choose to camp right where David and his men are hiding out. And I do not believe in coincidences like this. God certainly set this up. Now, prior to this, 
the tension level for David and his men must have been at an all-time high. They are severely outnumbered. It is 3,000 to 600. Their lives are literally hanging in the balance, and the odds are stacked against them. But then the one hunting them walks right into their hands, and not only right into their hands, but he's in the most vulnerable position that a person can possibly be maybe besides sleeping. If you have ever had a fear of snakes or frogs or other horrifying events occurring to you while you're in the restroom, I guarantee you Saul's situation here beats all of those. I have never gone to the restroom worried that people were there waiting to kill me. Maybe a frog or a snake, but not people. And so you have an entire group of frightened, tense, and angry men, and most of them have no qualms with killing Saul while he's relieving himself. And so in verse 4, it says, The men of David said unto him, Behold the day. It literally means, look, today is the day. Look, today is the day which the Lord said unto you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it shall seem good unto you. Now, we, this is a little bit misleading because we get the idea that the men are saying to him, hey, God spoke to you and he told you that there was going to come a day when Saul would be, he would deliver Saul into your hand and then you could do whatever you wanted with him. That is not what the men are saying here. The way the sentence is constructed, it is not that the Lord had made a promise like this to David because God never made such a promise like that to David. What they're saying is, look, today is the day, David, this is a miracle. The Lord is speaking clearly through these circumstances. It's not that God spoke through a prophet or something. They're saying, no, God is speaking through these circumstances right now. You can't ignore that this is an opportunity from the Lord, David. You got to take advantage of it. And you know, if you just try to logic it out, it's hard to argue with that kind of logic. I mean, what are the odds that he's going to just walk in there and he's relieving himself? Would there ever be a better opportunity for David to get his life back? Would there ever be a better opportunity for David to fulfill the promise that God did make to him? That he would be king? Well, it says, then David arose. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what David was thinking that made him decide to move on Saul. But I do not believe that David went in there to cut off a piece of Saul's robe. I don't think there's any reason that he would be convicted afterwards if he just went in there to cut off a piece of Saul's robe. I can't prove it, but I do think his men's logic convinced him to kill Saul. But David doesn't kill Saul when he gets there. When he has the opportunity to get the drop on Saul, instead of attacking him, David quietly slices off the hem of Saul's robe. And then he returns to his men. But before he gets to his men, conviction just hits him hard for what he's done. Look at verse 5. And it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And then when he gets back to his men, he says to them, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. David's heart smote him. It means his conscience told him that what he had done was wrong. Now, David's going to actually talk to Saul and say he cut off the hem of his robe, and he is not going to apologize for it. So the wrong is not cutting off the, the robe. 
It is what caused him to go in there in the first place. Whatever it was that David was thinking about doing before he cut off the robe, that is where his heart has been smitten. Despite all the wrong things that Saul had done to David, and even though David hadn't always made the best decisions in response to that, David had never done harm to Saul or intended harm to Saul prior to this. He could always maintain innocence of any desire to harm Saul. And that is now no longer true. You might be saying, but Will, he spared Saul. I mean, no one would have done that. I mean, we we should be applauding David for this. He's a good man. If that's the case, then why is he convicted? You know, it's interesting. We read in Romans chapter 3, you can read it on your own, but it's not a pretty picture of us being good people because we're not. It starts off by saying there is none good, no, not one. And then it just starts to deteriorate. <laughs> what do you mean we're not good? Let me tell you. You know, your mouths are open tombs. Your feet are swift to shed blood. I mean, it goes through this list of things of just how we are at our core. We can't look at this situation and go, well, David's a good man. I mean, he, he should have killed Saul. Anybody else would have killed Saul. Well, what David did might seem reasonable to us. While it might even seem merciful or admirable to us. It wasn't God-fearing. It didn't take what God said on the situation into account. You know, Jesus, of course, many centuries later in Matthew chapter 5, when he taught in the Sermon on the Mount, and he's giving us God's standard. This is Matthew five twenty-one. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, you shall not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, verse 22 of Matthew 5, Whosoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger of the judgment. Now, you might be saying, Pastor Will, you left a part out. It says, whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment. That phrase, without cause, is not in the original. It is in hardly any manuscripts out there. It's much more likely that uh, when you've got a massive thousands majority, I mean, thousands upon thousands of majority of manuscripts that do not have that, it's much more likely that the four or five copies that do have it was a couple people going, that doesn't seem fair. I don't think that's what Jesus meant, and adding it in. When you hear all the old church fathers, the people who lived in the first three centuries of the church, none of them quote it with the phrase without a cause. In fact, a couple of them mentioned that some other people have added the phrase without a cause because they didn't like what Jesus said. Matthew 5, 48 makes it clear what God's standard is that when he says, be therefore perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. That's God's standard to be a good person, which none of us, you know, none of us make. See, David knows that he has now fallen short of what God says about hating your enemy. David will have many failures in his life. Some of them he'll recognize and some of them he won't. But for the most part, David had a heart that was very sensitive to God's standards. He was deeply sensitive to God's standards in his word. And he didn't make excuses when he fell short, even if many of us would give him a pass. There are many times David was one of the only people doing what God said, even when it seemed ludicrous to do so, like in this situation. I think it's so important to not give yourself a pass when the Lord is convicting you. Don't condemn yourself, but do respond to the Lord when you fall short. It's interesting. We have the tendency to do the exact opposite. 
we tend to give ourselves a pass and then with everybody else, it's like judgment and damnation right here. You crossed a line. The rule book says it very clear. There's a line and you took an inch over it. You are done for. We tend to not be gracious with others and we tend to be really, really gracious with ourselves. The scripture seems to indicate something very opposite of that where it says that we're to be really serious about our own sin and very gracious with other people's. Well, when David returns to his men, he's going to have some explaining to do because Saul's still alive and because he's not the only one who has a grievance against Saul. Look at verse 6. David said unto his men, the Lord forbid that I should do the thing unto my master. So he's got to explain why he's back and the only thing he's got to show is not a head or anything else. It's 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 a piece of cloth. David explains, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master. This is a very complicated Hebrew phrase to translate. The closest I could come is to say that David is saying, never let me say that out of the Lord I should do this thing. In other words, never let me say, in other words, I, I should have not listened to you guys, and I never will listen to that theology again, the idea that it would be God's plan, that it would come out from him that I would harm Saul. It is both a confession and a commitment. He says, you guys suggested to me that God was speaking to me through this circumstance. And it was wrong for me to believe those words. And never again will you hear me echo those words. Never again will I step forward to harm my king. My master, the Lord's anointed. Now I might be saying, how can David still see Saul as his king after all he's done to David? I mean, Saul wasn't looking out for David's best interest. He was a horrible king to David. And how could he still call him the Lord's anointed? David, I didn't didn't pick Saul to be king. I'd rather have somebody else, someone else who would take care of me. Someone else who would be a good king to me. Well, (laughs) that truth swings both ways. Because David didn't pick Saul to be king. God did. And God anointed him to be in this role, even if Saul wasn't doing what God wanted him to do. Seeing he is the anointed of the Lord, I will not stretch forth my hand against him because he is the anointed of the Lord. In other words, it wasn't David's job to fix the problem because it wasn't David's problem. See, how can it not be David's problem? He's being chased down. It's not David's problem. It's the Lord's problem. I I was taught by uh, one of my Bible college teachers, you know, when you're going through stuff, like, for use example, like when the car breaks down. Go to the Lord and say, Lord, your car isn't working. The car you gave me that I need to get to my job so I can take care of my family, it's not working. So will you please either come up with an alternate plan for me to take care of my family, or will you please provide for the car to be repaired? But that's a whole different way of approaching things than banging at the car because you've tried to fix it seven times and nothing's working, cursing at the car and whatever it might be. That's a whole different way to approach it. I, I now have children that deal with a lawnmower because they're old enough. But me and lawnmowers have a long, dark history together. Some of you have probably helped me work on my lawnmowers over the years and can testify to my long, dark history with lawnmowers. And man, it was everything within me in the times when they would be breaking down again and I'd be pulling the thing apart and trying to put it back together again and I'd have to do it with gritted teeth. Lord, your lawnmower's not working and your grass is long. 
and your neighbor that you gave me is unhappy. Keep mentioning how long my grass is, your grass is, Lord. But man, that is a different way to live. Because then you go to sleep at night because it's not my problem. So what are you going to do the next day? I don't know. It's the Lord's deal. Not mine. My job is to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Right? Lord, you're the provider. You're the one who, who deals with these things. Now, this is not exactly what they had hoped or expected to hear David say. And could you imagine the tension that was in the cave during this conversation? Because they're thinking, okay, well, this was supposed to be an ambush. And if we kind of take out Saul, then maybe, maybe like this all goes away. They're like we can just go back to life. Well, now the ambush has turned into a trap because we're stuck in here and he's out there and the army's out there and we, we got nowhere to go. That these men are restrained by David is evidence of the respect they had for him and his character. It says, David stayed his servants with these words. These words that he spoke stayed them. The word stayed means to speak content, which points out the wrong ideas or wrong behavior and shows the proper way to go instead. It usually is translated to rebuke or admonish. It's not that David just kept them back. He corrected them. He admonished them. He said, guys, you're wrong. And here's why you're wrong. And here's what we need to do. But he did not allow them to rise up against Saul. There were other men who were willing and ready to kill Saul. They would say, David, I'll go in there and do it. But David's love for truth held them back. I want that to be a testimony in my life. Well, it says, but Saul rose up as this is all going on. He rose up out of the cave and he went on his way, just as if nothing happened, none the wiser. I wonder how many times in my 46 years God has spared my life and I had no clue. It is very easy to criticize the Lord when something goes wrong due to our limited information of what we don't know that he's done that we would be so grateful for. That's why the scripture urges us to humble ourselves. It's why humility is required to receive grace. We have to acknowledge that we are not God, that we don't know everything. There's so much we don't know and have not seen. Well, David and his men are still in a very precarious situation and David decides to make it worse. (laughs) He decides to trust the Lord even more with his next decision. Look at verse eight. So then David also arose afterward and he went out of the cave and he cried out after Saul saying, my Lord and King. And when Saul looked behind him, Saul turned around. David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. Talk about like a complete turn of a situation. I mean, Saul is completely exposed. He's completely vulnerable. He has no clue what's going on. And now David has just done the same exact thing and turned the tables to where Saul has him, where David had Saul just a few minutes earlier. The word there afterward means very little delay. There's not going to be much space between Saul and David once David gets outside. And he says to him, I mean, he announces his presence, my Lord and the king. My Lord, the king. And when Saul turned around, David puts himself in a completely vulnerable position. The word there for Lord is 
the word Adonai. It's certainly a word that's normally used for God when we speak of his ownership, his being sovereign. But it is also a title of respect given to a superior when it's used for another human being. He says, treats him with respect, and he calls him his king, the king. You know, it's interesting. We might make the mistake that David had a right to come to Saul as an equal because they'd both been anointed by God to be king, right? I mean, if anybody had the logical reason to actually speak to Saul like an equal, it would be David. And in a sense, David could even say, well, you've been rejected by the Lord and I'm the future. However, David is living out what Jesus would someday do and what Jesus commanded us through his servant Peter to emulate. But 1 Peter 2.18, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the harsh. David makes it clear that he still holds Saul as his king, and he has no intention of overthrowing him. He makes it clear that he submitted to Saul's leadership despite Saul's mistreatment of him. He stooped. The word there means to bow down or kneel down. We know it's bow down because it says with his face to the earth and he bowed himself. There is no more vulnerable position David could be in from a physical standpoint to defend himself. If Saul takes a few steps, David is a dead man. There's no way to block a blow or whatever. David is in every way subject to his king at this moment. This type of humility and faith would be considered suicidal by many in the church today. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.